gentlemen, boys, girls, Mel Herbert here. Time for an Elon Daily. It's been a while. Yeah, I have been away, but I'm back. I'm back, and it's time to do a couple of letters and have a bit of a discussion. The first letter is from Joel Sapp. Joel Sapp, that's right, the president, ladies and gentlemen, boys, girls, the president of the Talking Tesla Black Caucus. Now, Joel sent me a letter, and it's talking about new battery tech, and it's by a guy by the name of, hang on a second, wait for it, wait for it, Professor Donald Sadaway. And he is from MIT, MIT professor, okay? Now, in these videos given to us by the president, he goes through a new type of battery, sort of these liquid metal batteries. Now, I actually heard about this gentleman, I think about five years or more ago, at a TED talk. And he was talking about the same thing. And let me give you the basic principle here, because he says some things that I don't think are fair, uh, but he's a genius from MIT. So he does talk about the fact that, you know, solar and wind without storage is kind of a waste of time. Not a complete waste of time. You can put it into a grid system, but clearly the holy grail is solar and wind and battery storage. Because then if you can do massive battery storage, now you've got something. Not just a little bit of battery storage. That can help things a little bit, but massive battery storage would be key. And his premise to his students, and they're smart, and they're from MIT, hello, probably uh, the hardest school, perhaps the hardest school in the United States to get into, maybe one of the hardest schools in the world to get into. Lots of smart engineers there. His premise to his students, his fellows, was this. Do not follow the normal paradigm. Normal paradigm goes like this, and you see it all the time if you're like me, if you've got a Google feed, if you put in like renewable energy and stuff, you're constantly getting this stuff of remarkable breakthroughs in the lab using very expensive technologies and that might be really efficient and have great promise. And then what you do is you go to the markets and you go to other people and say, now try and scale that thing. Don't know if it's possible. Good luck with that. And he said, don't want my students to do that. I want you to first look at what is really common out in the world, the metals and stuff that are common. He's a metallurgist, basically. The metals that are really common in the world so that you could start with the premise like we are going to build a battery that is cheaper than anything else because the, uh, the metals that go into it are uh, really cheap, cheap as dirt. He wants a battery literally made of the stuff that's in dirt. And he talks about local dirt. Now, Joel's sort of assessment after looking at this guy is that, first of all, he doesn't have a promise on what the technology can do. He has a great personality. He believes in a sustainable mission. And he's funded by Bill Gates. And the idea here is that you take these two metals, you separate them by a salt, you have the electrons sort of go between them, and you can basically produce this thing where you are electrolyzing these metals and then going back and forth between two states and essentially have zero loss of efficiency over time. Zero loss of this battery over time. So they've cycled one of these batteries 5,000 times, the equivalent of doing it every day for 13 years, and still had 99% of uh, efficiency. So there's no sort of buildup there. It just goes from pure metal with some extra electrons to pure metal without some extra electrons moving back and forth. You have to listen to the thing. Don't quite understand all, but to get the basic concept. And this theoretically would be dirt cheap if you do it at scale. And again, go listen to the show. I want you to listen to it. I want you to listen to both of them. But I'd also want to say this to you. Can I say this to you? There is actually a history of MIT professors, genius professors, Daniel Nocera being one of them, MIT again, genius professor, who went around for years talking about how he had cracked it, how they had produced this way of catalyzing hydrogen and water and really one of the best speakers I've ever seen. And I thought, and actually I know a number of PhD chemists who thought that he'd cracked it. And it's not that he was a bad guy or anything, but when they really, at the end, everything looked great. At the last step, when they tried to make this efficient on a grand scale, they couldn't do it. And the companies that he'd developed and set up to do this, he sold. 
And he's still working on clean energy, but he was going around saying, like, we've done this. We're going to basically hydrolyze the equivalent of a couple of uh, Olympic swimming pools per second. And uh, we've got all the energy that the world needs. And we're going to use solar and we're going to turn water into hydrogen and oxygen. We're going to store it. We're going to bring it back together. Very similar to the story I'm hearing here. Now, that is not to say that this gentleman, Mr. Professor Donald Soldway, hasn't cracked it. But I'm just a little bit skeptical because I was all in on Nocera. Here is a guy that's from MIT, super smart, going through the math, going through the science. Very, very interesting. So please listen to this. It's super interesting. But let me just tell you, I've been hearing this story from this group for about five years. And where is it? Where is it? Because it doesn't matter until you show me it and I can use it tomorrow. And that's why I really like what Elon and uh, the group at Tesla Energy have said. They constantly look at this at this technology. And they, like the rest of us, are kind of sick of hearing about the next great breakthrough. If there's a great breakthrough, if they can use it, they will use it. But there's a whole bunch of people out there saying, we've cracked it, we've done it, it's good to go. You listen to their talking like, oh, the energy revolution is over. They've fixed it. But you haven't fixed it until you actually make it and you put it into the grid and it's working. And until that's occurring, and until that's occurring at cost, it's very funny when you're a good lecturer to make fun of Elon and talk about gigafactories and how much they cost gigabillions of dollars. But he's got batteries. He's got batteries on the grid. He's got batteries in the car. He's got batteries in the home. They're actually working. They're actually cost effective. Yes, they want to bring the price way down to about $20 per kilowatt hour. But he's moving there. And sir, what do you have that is right now baby care? Again, I don't want to dismiss this, but I just want to say I've been burned by really great and very smart people saying we've basically fixed this. You haven't basically fixed this until you've done it. Let's see when you have done it. Let me see and I can go touch that thing. I can go talk to the people who have deployed your multi-terawatt hour battery pack made out of dirt and then I'm going to call you a genius. Until then, I'm going to call you a... Mm, interesting speaker who is very smart with a potentially good idea with funding from Gates. Do you not get genius until I see it? I'm just saying. Now I've got another letter here, but because of the genius way that I've set up the website, people go home and put their names in. Um, yeah, and I still haven't fixed it because I haven't got round to it. But I've been going back and forward with this a person and it's basically been like this. I've got pay about $335 for electricity per month. I was thinking of dropping a 16 kilowatt system on my roof and about four power walls. I figure I'd sort of finish paying everything off in about 15 years. I'm trying to decide, is it worth it in the end? What do you think? And so he's asking me, do you think that what I paid for is worth it? Because I've got about a 16 kilowatt array that's functional. It's actually bigger than that, but it's old and inefficient. And how many years before you break even? Do you still pay anything to get power from your electricity provider? So let's talk about this, shall we? I think it's very important. So... I'll talk about my particular situation. My particular situation is I started putting solar on my roof about 15 years ago. And then again, about 11 years ago, I added. And then about five years ago, I added. And then recently, I replaced a big part of that system from 15 years ago. And have I made my money back? The answer is yes. My payback period was about seven years when you factor in the electricity increase over time. So I paid off those systems or they've paid themselves off. But I never really did it because I was worried about a big payback. It is good to know that over time you will get your money back. But for me, it was 
if I've got an extra twenty or thirty thousand dollars lying around, what's the best way for me to do this? And uh, you know, helping out the planet kind of thing. And you could argue that that is not the best way to do it. But I decided for myself, it would make me feel good if I was making green energy. So I didn't really care so much about the payback period. But it's going to take about seven to ten years for most people to get that payback. So you have to work that out by looking at what your kilowatt hour cost is, how much they can build this puppy for, what your incentives are. And then it's pretty easy to do the linear graph of when you pay these things off. And again, like I say, for me here in California, it's about seven years because the cost of electricity just never goes down. Keep going up and up and up. But if you just put the cash in and pay for this puppy, then you're done. You're done and uh, you're done. Now, the addition of batteries, how does that help? Well, they're significant in cost but if you have a time of day charge that can be substantial again you have to look at your own bill and you have to do the math but i find here at the studio for example we make almost enough electricity to cover sort of most of the months but we make most of it during the day and our highest charge is in the evening when the sun goes down and we get quite big charges for that so putting batteries here and at the studio, which haven't come yet, but will be coming in the next few months, hopefully, will significantly offset that cost. But that payback period is probably going to be closer to 10 years. Again, not so important to me personally. I just want to make sure that we can say honestly to our subscribers of all of our programs that what we're creating here is being done in a 100% green studio. It's a slightly different thing, but about a 10-year payoff because i think in all of life you have to weigh things up against you know the pure financials what's the payoff how long is it worth it but there's also the psychological thing and as i get older that becomes more and more important so if having solar on your roof having batteries knowing that you're creating 100% renewable energy and the payback period for those panels and the batteries and stuff might be a few years in terms of the energy that was required to make them they pay for themselves in terms of that energy in a very short time. And then it's the economics is maybe you know seven to 10 years or maybe even longer. But just knowing when I look at my panels, when I look at my electric car, when I look at my batteries, knowing that I'm driving around on a 100% renewable resource or close to it, uh, because nothing's 100% renewable, but you get the idea, makes me feel good inside. It's kind of like when I talked to a financial advisor a number of years ago, and uh, everybody tells you here in the United States, because you can tax deduct your mortgage, if you have a low percent mortgage, and then you can tax deduct it, don't pay that mortgage off. It's the cheapest money you'll ever get. Go invest that money that you extra money would have rather than paying off your house or your mortgage. Put it somewhere else. But if this is a very smart person, who said, you cannot put a number on the psychological well-being for some people of having zero debt. And if you're one of those people, and you need to have the insight to know if that's who you are, if you're one of those people that just feel good inside, like I've paid my house off, that is done. And that gives you a warm glow inside. How much is that worth to you? Do you want to try and just sort of get that extra 5% return on your investment? Or do you just want to be there at night having your cocktail going, I am zero debt, baby. I own this house. If that makes you feel great inside, that is worth a significant amount of money. So I feel for a lot of these discussions, it's the same way. I get a tremendous amount of uh, juicy good feelings 
when I know that I'm generating all the electricity I need for my cars, all the electricity I need for my home. I've got backup if there's an earthquake or something terrible. I'm even actually generating extra that I can put into the grid so the neighbors can use it as well, that I am helping sort of move this technology forward because right now at least I can afford to do that. And so maybe that makes it cheaper for somewhere down the line. I like the fact that when I took my old panels off, they were still working and they were given away for free to a third party low income group that now get to use those. All of those things to me are worth something. So I would just encourage you, if you're on the edge, that you think about the non-monetary returns that you can get from doing something like this, for helping out this industry, for helping out Tesla. It's a little bit more ooey-gooey, but I bring that into the equation all the time. So thanks for the letter. Oh, actually, but I'm not done, because another question they have, very insightful. Again, I wish I knew your name. Sorry. What about charging your electric car because the batteries even four of them you can suck those puppies dry pretty quickly when you charge your empty you know 100 kilowatt hour battery in your s your x whatever it is and that is absolutely true and it's a little hard for non-ev drivers to get their head around with four batteries you're going to have about what are you going to have around say 50 kilowatt hours approximately 50 kilowatt hours of storage there which is great for a home that's great for a home that's huge amount of backup for a home that's a couple of days without no sun at all but for a car it's not enough if you do a big long drive and you're basically empty and you come in and you plug in your model 3 with a 75 kilowatt hour battery it's going to completely drain your backup battery completely and pretty fast and you'll have nothing for your house so the way you get around that is you charge your cars during the day so during the day you have all of this excess energy and once your battery is full this is how i do it i fill up the battery in the morning and then with uh, the excess energy that I'm creating, and particularly in the summer and the very sunny days, I produce way more than I need. I make sure I plug in all the cars and fill them all up. And that way I'm filling up the cars with sort of pure electricity. You do not wait, say, to the middle of the night and uh, charge up your electric car the way you would if you had time of use charges, uh, time of day charges, and you didn't have solar and battery. The smart thing to do is fill it up with cheap electrons in the middle of the night. But if you do that, basically you're going to discharging your entire battery and then you'll have no backup. So if you can plug in your car during the day when you've got all that electricity uh, coming in through the solar panels, that's the way to do it. So a 16 kilowatt array should be enough for you to do the whole house, fill up the uh, batteries um, for the backup and then fill up your cars with the excess during the day. That requires a bit of planning and is no good if your car is over at uh, your place of work during the day. So I get to do that because I can walk to the studio and I can just leave my car plugged in and I manage it manually. One day they said they're going to update the app so it'll do it itself once the battery's full and you're making excess. They'll say we can just turn the car on to charge itself, which will be great, but I do it manually. I get to around, say, 10 or 11 in the morning. Everything's charged back up and now I'm making lots of excess. I say, charge the car now, bing, and off it goes. So uh, that's how I manage it, but very insightful. What I think we need in the future, maybe a dirt battery, maybe lithium-ion batteries come down, is not having like 14 kilowatt hours or, you know, 20 kilowatt hours or like I have 40 kilowatt hour battery or uh, this person maybe has 50 or 55 kilowatt hour battery backup at home. If you've got electric cars in the mix and you can't do that sort of charge it during the day, what you are going to want at home is something like a 200 kilowatt hour battery pack so that you can charge that puppy up during the day and in the middle of the night, you can charge your car up when you get home, for example. But that's only going to happen when the cost of these batteries comes down substantially. Sub 
substantially. Then I would like my home battery uh, to be like 300 kilowatt hours so I could charge up all the cars in the house and everything. And that makes no financial sense right now. But maybe, maybe it's not that long away when we have substantial battery backup in the home. And then, of course, the holy grail, which probably is not going to happen in any significant time frame we're talking about, is the idea that I make a lot more energy in the summer than I need. Could I store that and use it in the winter? Now, I would need a massive battery pack to be able to do that. And I can't see anywhere in sort of the residential situation where you could do that. And we're talking thousands and thousands of kilowatt hours so that in, say, January and February here when you're not making that much, you'll have stored so much during the summer in this giant battery pack, wherever it exists, maybe it's dug under the ground and made out of dirt, that you could use that, you know, six months from now. That might be possible on the industrial scale, usually with something like pumped hydro in the summer pump all the water up the hill in the winter you can use it uh, for the community down there but i don't see anything right now that that's going to work in a residential setting now again go back to daniel nocera daniel nocera was talking about the fact that you could have these big tanks of water and uh, you could produce lots of hydrogen and oxygen into two separate tanks and uh, these could be pretty big and they could store a tremendous amount of energy that could run your house for weeks and weeks and weeks it didn't happen. And finally for today, let's do some Model Y news. And all I can tell you is that there are more and more pictures of Model Y coming out. There's even some renders from the app. Some people have hacked into the app and there's some imagery in there about the Model Y, which no doubt will go live uh, once the Model Y in your app goes live. Nothing essentially too new. A couple of pictures from Berkeley of a Model Y just parking in the street. Again, making it seem like it's much more like an X than a three, which is a good thing. And some pictures now of the interior of the car, a lot of space in there, that middle of the three back seats. So they've got the three seats in the back and they all fold down. The middle one doesn't look too big, but you know, that five-seater configuration in almost all medium-sized cars is not huge. If you've got three giant people, it's always a bit of a squeeze. But for a couple of kids and stuff in the back, it's cool. It's cool. And a tremendous amount of storage in the back. One of the things that has come up is there, is there sort of a, a, what do they call it? A shelf. So the Model Y is a hatchback and it has a huge amount of room in the back there in this five-seater configuration. Remember the seven-seater configuration probably not going to occur till later in the year or next year. So you've got this huge amount of room in the back there where you could pile a whole bunch of stuff. But if you don't have some sort of shelf to hide that, somebody can look in your back window and go, oh, there's the laptop and there is uh, the iPad and there's a couple of things. Let me just smash this window and take that stuff and run. In Model S, when it first came out, same kind of thing. They had this big hatchback, but they didn't standard have this sort of uh, hidey hatchy thing that uh, would cover that huge amount of storage area. You had to buy it, and it was expensive. You know, I bought that thing. It was like $250 basically for a bit of foam board and a bit of cheap carpet over the top. Hopefully this time they'll give us Model Y and have that nice shelf, whatever you call that shelf thing, that hides people looking in the window and seeing all the stuff in that nice big area in the back there, and they don't charge us $1.8 million for that puppy. People are spending fifty, sixty thousand on this. Throw in the three dollar matty thing, shelfy thing for free, please, please. But the most recent pictures that people have been looking at and renderings appears that there is a shelf there. Whether they give you the foamy thing free for free, he says. <laughs> whether you get that as part of the car, we'll see. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is Elon today. The boys never got round to doing a big show, a large show, a grand show. Apparently, they're lazy. I go away and nothing happens. Lazy. I'll try and get together with them soon. Like, like soon. 